Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see you all here. What was a very blustery night has now settled down, so thank goodness for that. And those of you who are looking in from home, a big welcome to you as well. We're delighted that you've joined us this morning. And I want to especially welcome the Reverend Dr. Norman Hamilton. Dr. Hamilton has, well, he was here for the Reverend Shaw's installation, I know that, but this is his first time to take one of our services. He's traveled all the way from Balamina this morning. Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much for coming. We're looking forward very much to hearing you speak to us this morning. Thank you. Now, the other announcements, Life Lounge is on tonight, and I just want to encourage all of you to come back because tonight's special guest is our very own Sheila Palmer. <laughs> so if we had a great big turnout to support Sheila, that would be marvelous, and indeed to support Life Lounge as well. And of course, the music will be provided by Waiting for Sophie, the normal group who lead our music on such occasions. If you've got a few minutes after the service this morning, please give a wee hand to set up the church for tonight's event. Committee meeting will be on Tuesday night. It's at 7.30 p.m. and it's here in church. And next Sunday, the 3rd of July, will be Children's and Young People's Day, and that service will be at 11 a.m. and will be taken by the Reverend Shaw. Now, the Reverend Shaw, as you know, is on leave this week. Uh, he will return to duty on Friday. So if there is the need in the interim for the services of a minister, please contact any of the elders or, in fact, contact me if you wish. And now, those are the announcements that I have, but Tom now is going to make a special announcement on the community outreach worker. Tom, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Mark asked me to update you on the work to recruit a community outreach worker. Now the congregation, all of you, have supported both in prayer and by additional giving, the proposal to appoint a community outreach worker. That's right from the outset when we first had the idea three years ago. The recruitment process, as I think so many of you know, was set back first by the vacancy and then by the lockdown. And Mark, when he accepted the call to become our minister in January, embraced the proposal wholeheartedly and has steered the recruitment ever since. As you know, our first advertising of the post in March attracted no applications. We reviewed the paperwork, we took advice from other congregations and other sources, and we re-advertised the post. Well, I'm very pleased to tell you that this time we received a number of applications. Interviews of those who met the criteria for the post took place on Tuesday past. The interview panel recommended the appointment of a young man called Ben Cavan. Mark contacted Ben to tell him the good news and to ask if he would accept the post. Ben replied with a wholehearted yes. So, we have a community outreach worker. Ben is from Bangor, and our hope is he'll take up the post on the 15th of August. Now, Mark will update us on all those arrangements when he gets back from holiday. 
I think you will agree with me, this is truly an answer to prayer. And we thank God for guiding us through the whole process. And today truly is a day for thanksgiving and celebration. I ask something more of you all. I ask you to pray for Mark and for Ben as they prepare for this new chapter in the life of Ballycrocken and pray that each one of us will do all we can to welcome and support Ben with prayer and also with cooperation over the next three years. And now I have great pleasure in inviting the very Reverend Dr. Norman Hamilton to conduct our service. Well, thank you to Billy and to Tom, and um, um, I'm delighted that Ben is joining you, and we'll pray for him uh, later on in the service. Even though I'm a, a visitor here myself in a sort of way, because um, I've known Mark going to say since he's a wee fella, not quite, but for a very long time, uh, let me welcome you if you're a visitor or if you're joining us on the live stream or even later on uh, through the recording. Um, just to say to Billy, thank you for your very warm welcome, but I have to say that sort of the titles you tend to accrue during lifetime, I often say, won't be much use to you when you get to the pearly gates. Uh, so I'm very grateful for the, uh, for the welcome, but uh, uh, I, I'm just Norman Hamilton, I'm not anybody else. Is that my pacemaker giving up? <laughs> Is it this? Lift it up a wee bit. Is that better? Okay? Okay. Thumbs up from the back row. Okay. Okay. Well, let's take a wee moment just to settle ourselves uh, as we come to worship. Our Father, it's a real privilege to be here this morning. We recognize that across the world there are so many for whom this privilege is not nearly as straightforward as it is for us. And indeed, in so many places, it's near nigh impossible. So, Lord, we thank you for bringing us here, giving us the ability, the capacity, the opportunity to be here. And as we meet together to worship and to pray and to learn, to read, all sorts of things, we do want to invite your Holy Spirit to watch over each of us individually, but to watch over us as a congregation, and that together we will know the blessing and the leading and the empowering of God for a new week. So thank you for this day, this place, this opportunity. In Jesus' name. Amen. We, um, I was saying to the um, music team this morning, were they fired up because of Glastonbury last night? Uh, how many of you watched any of Glastonbury? Oh. Oh. Well, there were 200,000 watching Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen, 200,000 singing their hearts out. And um, at the risk of being a bit mischievous, if they can sing their hearts out there, maybe we can try the same here. But there may be a wee bit of a problem with the first hymn, first song, and Karen's going to play it just to remind us, and I think you've sung it a few times, uh, but Karen's going to uh, play it through, in fact, maybe all, all the folks, and listen carefully, and then we'll stand and we'll sing our hearts out to God. Okay. Okay. 
Well, let's take a wee moment and we'll follow that through in our prayers. Our Father, it is such a privilege to be able to sing out not only what we believe, but what you have done for us, and to rejoice in that, and to put the ordinary things of every day into the perspective of eternity. And we do want to thank you that as we've just been singing, all we are, all we have, all we hope for, that is honoring to you, is through what Christ has done for us. And that's why we've come here this morning, to honor Christ. And we want to pray for every part of our service again, and to invite your Spirit to, to put Christ at the very center of what we do and what we think. In the center of our music, the center of our children's work, the center of our thinking about your word, the center of our worship. And we know only too well just how unworthy we are of this privilege. You know what has trapped us this week. You know the things that have been less than honoring to you, the thoughts we've thought, the things we've done that we should not have done, and the things we have left undone that we really should have done. You know where we have strayed away in our attitudes and in our words. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness yet again for every way in which our lives have not reflected the power and the beauty of what we have been singing. And yet we thank you that as we have been singing, we are forgiven for all that sin and waywardness and shortcoming. And we do pray, Lord, that you will enable us not to repeat tomorrow or this week what has not honored you in the past week. So, Lord, thank you again for the privilege that is in this time together. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know whether the uh, few children want to come and risk being with me here, but I want us all to play in the next five minutes or so. <clears throat> Got a wee bag. And uh, anybody want to risk it? You don't have to. You don't have to. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I thought you might be a wee bit nervous. Let me ask <clears throat> how many people have had their breakfast this morning? Okay. I want to talk to you about food, because most of us have enough, and indeed I see the, the free food on Tuesday and Friday, so I think I'll come back for that. Um, but let me ask you this, <clears throat> here's a pear, where do you think this pear came from? Now, don't say Asda, okay? <laughs> where do you think this pear came from? Any takers? Sorry, you can have it if you want it, but anybody care to tell me? No, not Spain, no. Hmm? No. 
No. This came from Holland. Okay. <clears throat> tea bags. <clears throat> Where do the contents of the tea bags come from? India and yeah, Africa. Yeah, various countries in Africa. So, Europe for the pear, Africa and Asia for the tea bag. This orange. By the way, how do I know all of this? You know, it says on the label on it. It does. Wherever you buy this, it has to say by law on the label where it comes from. Where does this orange come from? Now, this was a surprise to me. This orange came from South Africa. South Africa. Oh, very good. A banana. Now, I know it's spotty, but it's only two days old. But where did this banana come from? Well Applause. <laughs> Costa Rica. Yep. Applause. And I have grapes came from... No, wait for it, India. Now that was a huge surprise from India. And finally, <clears throat> this apple came from... No! No, 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 no. This apple came from Chile. Now, I have to say, these are ordinary things. They're not, they're not, they're not, these are not out of some fancy supermarket or for a fancy deli. These are the ordinary things that you buy in Asda, Tesco, wherever. And I suppose the point I want to make is, is that we take our food for granted. We've had, so even on those half dozen items, we've been in South America, we've been in Africa, we've been in Asia, we've been in Europe, and we have been in Costa Rica, which is Central America-ish. And we take all of that for granted. And I want, one of the things I want to plead with you, if that's the right way to use it, is that at home when we're having our meals, that we teach our children and each other to give thanks for the food that we take for granted. Even in these tough times when life's getting harder for so many, we are still able 
to roam the world for our food. And one of the things that, that I suppose has surprised me and rather disappoints me is that how few families actually give thanks for their food. I'm not going to ask you whether you do, but the probability is that you don't. The majority of families, Christian families, do not give thanks at every meal, the majority. So can I ask you, if you take nothing else away this morning, to start the habit at home. And when you have folks in, absolutely. When you have folks in of giving thanks for your food. Let me tell you a wee story, just to finish this off. Um, the last year's moderator, David Bruce, who, who retired wearily on Wednesday night from being moderator. David and I grew up in the same congregation in Lurgan. And when David and his wife Zoe had the word out, when the kids were young, they would go to McDonald's. And David and Zoe would lead the family in McDonald's in giving thanks in McDonald's for the food that they ate. And they did it in a very dramatic way, which I will not repeat. But they, everybody knew that they were giving thanks for their food in McDonald's. And Evelyn and I were in a cafe a few years ago in Belfast, sitting in the corner. And this family came in with, <clears throat> te- with teenagers, or, or they, were all a, they were going to university, a group of about seven. And they were in this cafe on the Lisburn Road. And after they'd had whatever they had, put their arms around each other, and mother led them in prayer in the cafe. That was pretty special. So I want, I suppose, to say that we need to do things differently from what everybody else does, and not be afraid to give thanks to God for the, dare I say, the ordinary things that come to us every day. So uh, let me encourage you to do that. And let me give the banana. <laughs> and uh, sorry, sorry if I if I hit. And um, who makes the tea in the afterwards? Who makes the tea? Here's your tea bag. Okay, let's just take a wee moment to pray. <clears throat> Our Father. We come here on a Sunday morning and we do take this opportunity, this congregation so often for granted, our church family for granted. But Lord, there are many things that come to us each and every day that we take for granted and our food is part of us, one of those things. And maybe Lord, you do need to pull us back and Help us to be much more appreciative of the everyday blessing that comes to us. And we do want to pray this morning for the grace to give thanks at our meals, to learn how to do that well with our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our friends and in public, that we will give us the courage to do it and the delight in doing it. And we want to pray, too, for the folks who come here uh, every week and share food together on a Tuesday and a Friday. 
And we want to thank you for the opportunities that that brings. We don't take any of that or any of those folks for granted. And so we ask, Lord, just for your, your guidance as to how to do this well, both within the church and at home. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think we have our next worship now, which I have forgotten, but it'll come up on the screen. Let's worship God again. Come on, celebrate. <clears throat> Thank you for that. That's a new one on me. So, thank you for um, for lifelong learning in Ballycrocken. Not only do we pray for ourselves, it's really important to pray for a wider world. And you'll not need me to tell you of the the pain and the distress that there is in so many parts of the world, in Europe, indeed many of the countries from which we get our food. So let's take a moment or two to pray together as a church family for others. Lord, there is much for us to celebrate, and that's why we're here this morning. But we also come to celebrate and give thanks for the privilege and the fact that we can talk with you in our prayers as a church family. And we want to do that again this morning. We look at our news night after night or read our papers and the distress and the evil and the pain is everywhere. And we simply can't cope with the images we see on our TV screens of the 
war in Ukraine, of the dreadful famine in the Yemen, of the genocide in parts of Nigeria, of the earthquake in Afghanistan, and next week, men, the ongoing horrors will continue. They'll, maybe some of them will drop off our TV screens, but will be very real for years and years, generations to come. And Lord, we do want to pray for the Church of God worldwide. We want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who, just like us, have met or are meeting or indeed will meet in your name in places that are exceptionally difficult or dangerous. And Lord, we know nothing of the pressure, the persecution, the fear, the uncertainty that they face. And so, Lord, we don't pray for them with any sense of arrogance or self-righteousness. We pray for them in the poverty of our understanding. We want to commend them to you, those who are in real fear or persecution this very day. We want to pray for, maybe particularly for your people in the Ukraine and in Russia and in all of the countries bordering in Latvia and Hungary and Estonia and Moldova and Lithuania and Albania in Germany so many places where millions have come fleeing the horrors of the war. And we pray that your people will be agents and channels of the grace of God and the mercy of God, the compassion of God in a really big way and that they themselves will be sustained as they seek to care for others. And Lord, we want to pray too for those who have fled the Ukraine and indeed Syria and other places who have come to live in Northern Ireland. And you know that this is a, a new experience for us to have so many folks from overseas on our streets, in our shops, in our play parks, wherever. And Lord, we pray that we will have the right attitude the attitude of Christ himself to the stranger and where we, where there is opportunity that we will see that opportunity. Lord, we are much blessed here and we want your blessing to be, your presence to be, your grace to be shown in a big way in other places and to other people. Lord, as we come <clears throat> a wee bit nearer home, we want to pray for those in, in our church family who 
themselves are in real need. We want to bring them to you now, wherever they are, in our prayers. And Father, we want to pray for our congregational life. We want to pray for Ben as he takes up this new and really important role uh, in August with us. We thank you for the gift of him to us. And we pray that we will be a gift to him. We pray that you'll help him to discern well is top priority, to be able to find easily the people with whom he should be connecting week in, week out, and that you will give him all that he needs, not only to do the work that you've called him to, but to perhaps learn new work and have new gifts and new skills as he serves here. I want to pray for Mark and Elaine on holiday this week, and for Mark in his role as pastor and minister here, that you will continue to bless him and strengthen him and give him the vision and the mental and spiritual and physical energy he needs to lead the work here. Thank you for bringing him here, and we pray for him and the family. And we pray too for the Kirk session and the committee. We pray for everyone who is in any way responsible for giving leadership or helping here. We thank you for everyone who does that. And we pray that they will have great joy in serving you here in Ballycrocken. Lord, we want you to be known in the area around that is our, as our heart's desire, that the kingdom of God will expand in Ballycrocken. So, Lord, we pray for all that you can give, all that we need for that to happen. And we pray, Lord, with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship God again in our third hymn, And Can It Be? <clears throat>
I'd like for a moment or for a few moments, if I may, to share with you a wee bit, a wee part of my own spiritual journey at present. I have a, a bit of a thing about this, but I really do think that um, ministers and preachers should not preach abstract sermons or sermons that are divorced from where they personally are at in their own spiritual journey with God. In a very real sense, I want to share with you something that uh, I have been reminded of in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and that has come to the fore because Evelyn, my wife, and I, uh, we do our, our Script Union Bible readings uh, uh, every morning, and Corinthians has been uh, the, the, the book, the second Corinthians has been the book that the Script Union reading notes have been on. And uh, so this is, this is a wee bit of where I am at the moment. And uh, I think it is, uh, let's say, not just for me, but for many, many, many Christian people. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let me read with you these verses from 1 Corinthians 15 uh, at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 3. Paul says this, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Kephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. <clears throat> if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And this is the key line that I want to open up a wee bit. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, I want to explore with you what these words from, these verses from God's word, to where they might take us. <clears throat> Easter seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Uh, many weeks, is it? <clears throat> and then there was, almost immediately afterwards, Great excitement began to build and much celebration uh, for the Queen's Platinum, uh, Platinum Jubilee celebrations at the beginning of June. And of course, 
the weeks move on, and this week many schools break up for the summer, and the holiday season gets underway, and Easter has virtually been forgotten. The importance of it has been relegated to the back benches to remain there until Easter Sunday 2023, which is on what date? Yeah, didn't think anybody would know. (laughs) The 9th of April, 2023. But, and it's a really big but, the importance of Easter, the message of Easter, the impact of Easter is never to be relegated to the backbenches in any church, in any congregation, in the life of any believer. Easter is massively important for all 12 months of the year, all 52 weeks of the year, all 365 or 66 days of the year. Why? Because the facts, and I use that word advisedly, the facts of Christ's birth, death, and resurrection mean salvation to all who believe. Life-changing events and eternity events as well. Verse 17 of what we've just read. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If there was no resurrection, there is no Christianity, full stop. There is no reason to be in church on the 26th of June, 2022. If Christ has not been raised, being here and calling ourselves Christians, if we are, is futile. And yet, fewer and fewer people actually believe in the resurrection. Let me take you through a little bit of this slide. I hope you can see it, but if it doesn't, the the key bit is the big arrow um, from the bottom right up to the middle. This was a a survey done a while ago by the BBC, and it's the percentage of people who were asked about the Bible story of Christ rising from the dead. Now, the top line in each bar, the sort of orangey line, there, there are three lines. There's, an, there's a red line, uh, and then there's a, there's a very faint orange line, then there's a green line. But of, so of the three lines, um, the top line, where that big red arrow is pointing to, is the general public. The general public, you can see how big the top line there is. Over 50% of the general public simply don't believe what the Bible tells us about the resurrection. 
And in the block above that, if you were able to see it at close up, almost a quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians also don't believe what the Bible says about the resurrection. A friend of mine <clears throat> was, um, was talking to her after Easter, and um, she, she and her friend are, are, let's say, they're around 50. And they were talking to two colleagues at work in the same age bracket. And the colleagues at work had no idea what Easter was about. And they're in their 50s. No idea. Good Friday. Huh? Easter Sunday. Hello. So that generation... A very large proportion of the folks around us here in Ballycrocken, if this survey is to be believed, have no idea at all why Easter is important. And this chart, and maybe our own experience, and certainly the experience of our friends talking to their colleagues at work, brings us face to face the question, what do we do about this? Well, let me say in one sentence, a key part of answering this godlessness and this lack of understanding is that we start with the facts. The facts of the resurrection. The last two chapters of the book of John and the last chapter of Luke's gospel, you can read them yourself, the last two of John and the last one of Luke. You will read the following. Jesus appeared to the resurrection to the women, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. You probably know the story that is often preached on the Sunday after Easter of, the, of Cleopas and friends going along the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appeared to them. You'll also read that Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples and he eats something with them, Luke 24, to prove that he isn't a ghost. You probably know the story of doubting Thomas. That's in John 20, one of the last chapters of John, who had been seriously doubting the resurrection and said, unless I touch the hands that have been nailed and see the mark of the spear, I won't believe. That same chapter, sorry, the next chapter, John 21, Jesus appears to Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, John, James, two others at the Sea of Galilee. He meets them on the beach and he has breakfast with them. And as we read in that passage from 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus appeared to a group of more than 500. And Luke, who wrote obviously Luke's gospel, but who also wrote the book of the Acts, says this at chapter 1 of Acts. He says this, After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to the apostles 
and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You got that? Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So over a six-week period, hundreds and hundreds of people saw the risen Jesus. Now the question then arises, is this fake news? Is this made up? Is this all lies? Or is it true? Now I suspect that most of us, in fact all of us probably here, would say it's true. And that puts us in a very small minority in this area. I don't just believe. I have a friend who, for example, believes that men never walked, walked on the moon. A friend, and she's a teacher. She doesn't. She believes that we never reached the moon. The fact that you believe something doesn't make it true. And that is why the Bible is really impressing on us the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. So on the basis that the resurrection really is hard fact, where does that take us? Well, let me suggest the first, first place it takes us. It takes us to... I'm pressing too many buttons. There we are. It takes us to having confidence in the Lord, in the Scriptures, in the Gospel. Paul again from 1 Corinthians 15. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Our faith is not just wishful thinking. As I said a moment ago, we don't just believe. We believe not only because of the work of the Holy Spirit enabling us to come to Christ, but we believe because faith and fact go together. Now that is a, that is a, a view that is increasingly being rubbished in wider society. Folks who have faith in Christ are not in the business of making it up. We are not in the business of wishful thinking. We're not deluded. We're not in the business of fake news. We're not just wanting to make ourselves feel good. Faith and fact go together. Faith and fact, the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection, stand together. And in our final hymn this morning, uh, which, which is called See What a Morning. It's an Easter hymn. And it is a hymn that is full of statements of fact. And I'll draw your attention to that again just before we sing it. 
There's this wonderful line in that hymn. For he lives, Christ is risen from the dead, one with the Father, ancient of days, through the Spirit who clothes faith with certainty. That's where the title of this little address comes from. The Spirit who clothes our faith with certainty. And Paul follows that up many other places. He follows it up in Second Corinthians. I've referred to it there on the screen. I have no regrets, he says. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted, trusted me to do right to the end. And Romans 8 there. I am convinced, said Paul, convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced, he said. <clears throat> the fact of the resurrection builds confidence in the gospel and in Christ. The second thing is that the fact of the resurrection <clears throat> leads to faith. A straightforward trust, straightforward confidence in God to save us, deliver us from the awful consequences of our rebellion against God. First Corinthians again, the passage we read. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Why was that important? Because our rebellion needed to be paid for. That's why we need the cross of Good Friday. That's why the, the work colleagues that I was talking about a few moments ago, that's what they don't get, they don't understand that the cross of Good Friday was necessary for the payment for sin to be made. And that opened up the way for us to be made right with God, saved and delivered from the awful consequences of our sin. And this is blindingly obvious, <clears throat> but of first importance, that we need to be delivered from the awful consequences of our sin. That's what Good Friday is about and the resurrection. So you come to Christ, the risen one, and you ask him to make him right, to make you right with him. And he wants to do that and is able to do that because of the resurrection, because the sin that had to be paid for didn't keep him in the grave. He broke the power of sin and death, and rose. That is why salvation is on offer. <clears throat> That's why faith is actually quite straightforward. I believe in the resurrected Jesus who delivers me from my sin. The fact of the resurrection leads to faith. And finally, the fact of the resurrection leads to witness. 
There's something big and real to talk about when you are a follower of Christ. The truth of the Bible. The fact of the crucifixion. The fact of the resurrection. The fact of the reality of faith. Things of first importance. Much more important than talking about the weather. Much more important than talking about the church. Much more important about talking about the minister. Much more important about talking about the activities. Conversations with those who don't yet believe are best steered to matters of first importance. I'll be careful what I say in the next 20 seconds. A friend of mine has recently gone to prison. And he's going to be there for a while. And in the not too distant future, I'll go and see him. And one of the things I'm trying to figure out at the moment is how to have this first importance conversation. Because he's going to be in prison for a while. I know him very well. On my first conversation with him, I'm not going to go here. I'll want him to tell me his story of why he thinks he's in prison. But over the coming years, and I think it will be years, certainly months and years, it will be my responsibility as well as my privilege to get round to talking about these things of first importance. And I've got to figure out how that conversation is going to be shaped. That's not straightforward. But it's important that things of first importance are in our conversation. Or at least that we're aiming to get there with our conversation. And I'm encouraged in that because after the resurrection, Jesus said to his followers again in the first chapter of Acts, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit enables us with his power to be his witnesses and to talk about things of first importance. I think it's a privilege, actually, to say I'm a committed Christian. I have no problem saying that. I don't say it because I'm a minister. I say it because I'm a Christian. I'm a contented Christian. And that's not about me being self-righteous. That's what the Holy Spirit does when you come to Christ. The peace of God that passes all understanding. There's nothing to be ashamed about here. Folks outside may laugh. They may well not understand. They may poke fun. They may even argue. And I have had my moments of debate, let's put it like that. But at the end of the day, what we say is, oh, look, yeah, I get all that. I get all the things you're saying about the church and all the rest of it. But what do you make of the resurrection of Jesus? 
That's the matter of first importance. And 99 times out of 100, they struggle to respond with any confidence to that question. There is no need to argue about the church. There is no need to argue about what has been done or the scandals or whatever. What do you make of the resurrection of Jesus? And when they argue or respond, well, I tell you what, can we just deal with the facts of the resurrection? And let me follow that up very practically, if I may. You may feel a bit hazy on the facts of the resurrection. Let me encourage you to get hold of this little, wonderful book. Hang in with me for the next couple of minutes. It's uh, 80, 90 pages. It's not exactly a long read. One of the most interesting things about it, it is the, this is the modern big book on the reason for the resurrection. It's a big book because of what's in it. It's an easy enough read, or a straightforward read, I should say. But the interesting thing is that Lee Strobel, who wrote it, was a journalist, an atheist, who set out to disprove the resurrection. And in this book, he tells the stories of the interviews he did on the basis that he was trying to disprove the resurrection. And at the end of his interviews, he became a follower of Christ because of the facts. And Lee Strobel is now probably best known or best known across the world as one of the best explainers of the resurrection alive today. That's quite interesting. I went to get a copy of this. I went to get this copy in my local Christian bookstore. Oh, Easter's gone. We don't have it. You don't have it. They only stock it coming up to Easter. So, I want to encourage you to get a copy. Now, here is the picture on the book. Sorry, the picture of the book on the slide. Faith with certainty, and these are the three things we've looked at, with confidence, faith, and witness. And to encourage you to get it, and you'll almost certainly have to get it by the internet, here's a copy of that slide on this little sheet, and they're in the porch. You can take one on the way out. But if you're very good and ask nicely, I have ten of these with me, which I got via the internet. I got them for $1.99 as a discount, but since I don't have pennies with me, I'll sell it to you for two quid. (laughs) I don't have a a pile of pennies, and I'll give the 10p to my own congregation, okay? (laughs) Now, I think we do tea and coffee afterwards, don't we? If you would like one, um, ask me for one, and we'll see what we can do. But if you are going home, um, or you want to think about this, you can take one of these wee, um, 
species. I think it's about 20 or 30 of them uh, in the porch. And that's the book. That's what you're looking for on the internet. You can see the... Uh, it's the right one. And you can uh, buy it on the internet. And if you can get it for 199 postage free on the internet, good luck to you. So, I do want to encourage you to take this passage from 1 Corinthians to heart and to ask God to take us away from uncertain faith or ambiguous faith or iffy faith to take us away from that to faith with certainty because of the facts of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we're glad to be here because there's a good reason to be here, that Christ is risen from the dead. And as we celebrate that again in our closing hymn, we pray, Lord, that we will sing it, but we'll also think about it. We will even learn from the words of this hymn and that we will leave here this morning greatly uplifted and greatly encouraged to be witnesses for Christ with confidence. And we pray and we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. And as I said a few minutes ago, this song, which we often sing on Easter Sunday morning, and you may well have sung here, is just full of statements of fact. See what a morning.
Father, thank you again for bringing us together, for the privilege it has been. Thank you that folks have been able to join us on live stream, and we include them in our prayers. And those who will be able to join us later on via the recording, we thank you for each and every one of them, and we pray for them in whatever situation they are in. We want to give you thanks for the tea and the coffee that we are having after the service here in the building. Father's, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit himself, for Christ's honor. Amen.